let's read Job chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Tamanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. First thing I want to uh, own up to in this message is, is that I have this irresistible urge to revisit the title to an old Garth Brooks song. I have used this sermon title many times over my ministry career, and I can't help it. Friends in low places. You know, I, I don't know what else to tell you. It just fits. And in this particular context, it's particularly interesting because this is the kind of friend you want in the low places. Friends who come, come beside you in your low places. So it really doesn't have much to do with the real song lyrics, but it certainly fits the title. When you're in the lowest places in your life, those friends who come alongside you are dear and precious to be sure. And the best part is when they just stand with you. They just, they just join you in your sorrows. And it is particularly meaningful when they mourn with you and seem to suffer as you are suffering. And so today's message is really about how his friends got it right. And I'm willing to wager that I'm probably one of the few pastors who devoted an entire sermon to what his friends did right. Because I've heard a lot of sermons about what his friends did wrong. And you'll see as we move forward that they did a few things wrong. But this they did right. And I think that after all the years I've been serving as a pastor, I've come to realize that this is probably one of the most important lessons that I have learned and that I have taught to congregations. As you know from our prayer time, family members of our family of faith die and they lose their loved ones. And you will witness throughout the years that we are together as a family of faith more death and sorrows and loss. Together we will be with those whose houses burn whose loved ones die unexpectedly, whose fortunes are lost, whose uh, suffer in some other tragic way a terrible time of grief. We will all experience at least a relationship with someone who's going through this sort of thing. The fatal diagnosis, the 
inevitable changes that come in life that bring us from freedom and independence to living in a nursing home, for example, and on and on it goes. And what I've learned is not my own invention, but it's really described beautifully here in the passages that we just read. Job's friends were mourning and grieving over Job's loss. They saw their friend in a state of despair that overwhelmed them and they suffered with him. They joined him in the dirt and they did something that, well, their tradition instructed them to do because it's likely that they may have started talking sooner if their tradition hadn't informed them differently. I think that we could learn a lot from Judaism about how to deal with death. In my opinion, the way we deal with it in our culture is perhaps normal, but not particularly productive. But these men, they came to their friend's aid in his time of despair, and they did something called sitting Shiva, or Shiva. It is the tradition in Judaism when someone dies for the immediate family to immediately take care of arrangements and bury the dead. And it's a very private affair to bury the dead. And there isn't any viewing or, you know, day long, sometimes two day long visitation where people come to, to uh, view the deceased person and to grieve with the ones they love. And the truth be known, we all come more to grieve with those we love than to view those who are not physically the same anymore because their spirit has left. And so in the Jewish tradition, that is left to the family. And then seven days following the burial is what they call sitting Shiva. And this is usually done in the home of the family of the lost. And they receive guests all week long who come to comfort them, to hug them, to shake the hand, to feed them, to sit with them. And some family and friends will sit the entire seven days doing nothing in particular except to be present. This suggests that they did nothing, but my guess is, is that they probably brought him something to eat from time to time. They probably washed his face from time to time. They probably walked with him as he went to the bathroom or to get some sleep. They probably watched over him while he slept. They, they just sat with their friend and gave him a chance to be entirely present to his grief with them as his protectors, and as his encouragers and comforters. And so when they obeyed their tradition, they did it really well, these friends of Job. And I think what we really need to recognize is that when our loved ones die, what we don't need is clever things for people to say. We often feel as though someone is in trouble and we should say something. <laughs> and the truth is, is, we risk becoming like Job's friends and saying things that aren't particularly helpful. 
the power of quiet presence cannot be overstated. There will be a time later for discussion, a time when productive and constructive things can be said. But while the person is in the depths of their sorrows and in their grief, they are frozen in time for a little while. The most important thing you can do is tend to the things that they are not capable of caring for right now. The most important thing you can do is to assist them in their grieving. And this is what we see Job's friends doing masterfully. They came and they saw the condition of their friend and they were shaken to the core so that they too mourned and grieved. See, I think one of the reasons that we're not so quick to comfort those who are experiencing terrible grief is because it will probably take you someplace you don't want to go. It's probably because if you allow that person to speak of their grief openly and honestly, you will witness something that makes you uncomfortable and perhaps even causes you to have pain. And frankly, a lot of us are just busy and we're glad it wasn't us and we don't mean any harm, but it's just easier to shake a hand and hug and to say how deeply sorry we are because it's true than it is to go alongside them to give up a day or a couple of days and to listen to someone open themselves up and express deep pain. Have you ever thought about how really oppressed we are in our society? And I expect some communities are worse than others about this, but have you ever noticed how oppressed we are because we're not allowed to feel anything except great joy and great anger. Now, you can publicly express your anger anytime you want. I probably have caused some of that myself in my car and allowed someone to publicly express their anger with a gesture or words that I can't hear through the windshield. We can go to Washington or to the courthouse and we can publicly express our anger. We can go to a comedy presentation and we can publicly express our laughter. And perhaps one of the reasons that we are quick to join in a protest or in a comic production is because the rest of the time we're so emotionally constipated. Yeah, he said emotionally constipated in church. It's a form of oppression that we don't know how to express our feelings. It's a kind of oppression when we're not able to speak the depths of our souls. It's oppression that Jesus came to release us from. Our culture has bound us up so that when we are in some of the most difficult and challenging times of our life and we desperately want to say how hard it is, we are challenged to find a friend who will really 
sit and listen while we weep, while we mourn and grieve. I've said it to you before, there are numerous occasions in our lives for grief. It's not always about death, but it has the same emotional impact as death. And so when you drop your daughter off at college and you realize that the childhood that you had lived with that child and the kind of relationship you'd have with that child has now ended and it has changed forever. You experience grief and it has the same emotional impact on you that death would have. I know because that little girl over there the first time I dropped her off at college, I got home and carried her empty boxes back to her bedroom, sat down on her bed and cried. My baby girl wasn't a little baby girl anymore. And so grief experiences come all the time in our lives, and it's really hard to process grief when your culture wants you to keep it to yourself. But Job's friends spent seven days doing it right. And so I'd like to give you a little piece of advice from Scripture that I hope you will take to heart and perhaps benefit from. When you are sorrowing and grieving, find someone and make a pact with them. I will listen to you and I will not stifle your emotions if you will do the same for me when my time comes. And just have this partnership. You know, men, our wives are beautiful emotional beings and we could learn a lot from them about processing feelings. And one way you can do that is to be patient enough to sit with your bride while she weeps or while she talks about her suffering and her challenges. And men, it might not feel very manly to do it, but you know, emotional constipation can have long-term effects. So you may need to get it out somewhere, somehow. And I would suggest you find one dear friend that you can do that with. And that dear friend, if you should happen to be them, doesn't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything clever. You don't have to be anything like a psychologist or a preacher, a pastor, a counselor. You just need to listen. And if they look at you as though you should say something, you can always say, man, I'm right there with you. I'm feeling your pain. I understand the sorrow that you're having. I'm grieving too because it tears me up to see my friend this way. You don't have to say more than that. When you go through the line at the funeral home, you can say that you're deeply sorry, but I try not to say anything else. You don't even want to say things like, let me know if you want to talk, because in that moment, that, in that moment right there, they are frozen in time. They don't know what they want. They do not know what they want. They are stopped dead in that space right there, frozen in time. And the only thing they're thinking about is getting through the day. And if you really want to help, just help. Don't tell them 
or ask what they want because they don't know what they want. But if you could say something like, hey, I'm gonna go to the grocery store later. Is there anything I can pick up for you? I thought maybe you could use some bread and eggs. Everybody needs bread and eggs. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, or you could, you know, you might find out they got all this food back at their house and they have no place to keep it, you know. Would you like me to come by the house and grab some of that and stick it in the freezer for you? I'll bring it back in a couple of days when you're ready for it. You know, these are, these are helpful suggestions. But don't put any burden on the one who's grieving, is my point. Don't ask them to think. Don't ask them to make hard decisions. They've already spent the days around that funeral making really difficult decisions in the midst of their shock and their sorrow. The other piece of advice I would give you is to recognize that funerals bring families together. And that could be a really good thing, and sometimes it could be a really bad thing. Sometimes families would be better off not spending too much time together, as sad as that is. And when you come in the midst of it all, it would be better not to try to broker any sort of peace or anything. Just be present. This is my advice to you. Now, before this starts sounding like some sort of, an, of, of a session on grief, let me just tell you this. If you want to understand one more aspect of this story that I think is worth exploring, it's God and grief. The Spirit informs us that we grieve because something is wrong. When we grieve, it is probably the strongest piece of evidence of God's existence and God's original plan for creation because we know instinctively that it's wrong for people to deteriorate and die. We just know it's wrong. We grieve and we cry out because we know in our hearts this is not how it should be. And this is one of the greatest testimonies to God that I can think of. Because if we did not have a God, a loving creator who intended for us to be in his presence always in the form that he had originally designed for us, we wouldn't feel the sense of loss. Have you ever watched one of those nature films? You know, when the tiger gets one of the wildebeests, the other wildebeests just keep eating. They just keep wandering. They're not sorry. There's no particular grief. Now, I know there's evidence that some animal species can grieve the loss, but my point is, is that for most animals, there's no sense of grief or sorrow over the death of another animal. But for us, there is this tremendous outrage boiling inside that says, this is not right. This shouldn't happen. Children shouldn't be born disfigured and, and crippled and people shouldn't die young and people shouldn't die at all. This is why the scripture tells us that a person who lives to be 100 be considered cursed. And it's because it's a, it's a, a drawing from the very instinct that God put, us, put in our hearts at the very moment of human creation. And so, believe it or not, grief is an act of worship. Grief is a sign that we know instinctively that something is wrong with this situation. And to suppress grief is, in a way, to embrace our more animal nature. It's actually a really good thing to express your grief and to experience grief. 
But to do it healthy and strong is to say, as Job said, yet I know my Redeemer lives and in my flesh with my own eyes one day I will see him face to face. Jesus wept when he got to Lazarus' tomb. Jesus was troubled by death so that whenever he was in the place and the time, he brought people from the tomb. He raised the dead because he knew this was not how it was supposed to be. And then he did the most extraordinary thing that anyone could ever imagine. He embraced death, this absurd unreality that we have learned to live with as human people, <laughs> human animals, whatever. We've embraced this thing and accepted it, and Jesus did not know it. It didn't exist in Jesus' point of view. And yet he embraced it so that by his death and his suffering and his sorrow, we might be freed from death. And so, yes, we grieve loss and change and death especially, but Jesus has given us a way of hope that didn't exist before him. And so we know that when we die, and when those we love die, there's still more to come. This is not how it ends. This is not the absurd, unthinkable end of things. It's just a transition that hurts terribly. And as friends, like Job's friends, the best thing we can do is acknowledge that. Now, today I've given you some more practical stuff. I haven't gone verse by verse and given you lessons based on verses in Scripture, and yet there's truth in what we've heard in that it is informed by Scripture. You can't read anything on the Internet about grief and sorrow that doesn't take you back to Job. You can't watch a video or take a lesson on grief and sorrow without eventually being referred to Job and Job's friends. And so what I've done today is give you a broad overview, but you can go deeper. You learn more and you can take it further. And I'm really happy to announce that we have made a partnership with play a, a, a resource called Right Now Ministries or Right Now Media rather. And I put this flyer in your bulletin and what it is about is to let you know and I know that right now media has been here before it's been completely revamped and changed but this is a gift for you it will cost you nothing you could share it with your friends and your family even you can share it with your daughter who lives in Seattle you can share it with your next-door neighbor who goes to one of those other churches but this is a gift to you, made possible by your gifts to God. And this right now media is, in effect, a, a kind of a Netflix of Christian things. And I have studied it carefully for several weeks now. I have it on my TV at home. I've been watching a lot of the kids' stuff because it's really cool. Um, there's everything here from kids' videos. It's not just teaching, it, it really, it ranges from, if you like watching sermons, I don't know if this is not enough for you, <laughs> but if you like Bible studies, uh, I've actually, we have a Shiloh United Methodist Q 
that I have placed a Job Bible study in for you to look at, a Revelation Bible study for you to look at. I've given you a couple of samples of my favorite kids' videos that I've watched and a couple of lessons on outreach and mission. They're in the Shiloh United Methodist link. And it ranges from teaching and instruction for church leadership teams to uh, book studies to uh, series, uh, everything from creation to how to deal with, with pornography addiction or something like that. And then there's a whole plethora of kids stuff that is just downright entertaining and you don't have to be worried about what your kids are looking at. There's a huge selection there. I don't know if you've joined us in this, but we've kind of given up cable and gone to streaming. And right now on our Roku, there's a media, a Right Now Media link. And when I open it up, my account shows up and the videos I've been watching show up, just like if I were watching Netflix or if I were watching uh, CBS On Demand or whatever. So that's what this is and it's yours. And you're going to receive an email today to invite you to be a part of that. Check your spam folder in case you don't see it. If we've got your email address, you're going to get an invitation. And it's just like a lot of these other things. You just set up an account and you're rolling. It's that simple. If you don't get it and you want to be a part of it, you can use the link on that insert to set up your account. And we will continue to reach out to you. If we don't have your email address, just let us know and we'll send you the link. But I put that at the end of this sermon because what I just did today is something I wish I could do all the time, which is to just teach what I've learned and listen to what you've learned about really practical things like how to deal with death. But I have to pick and choose what I'm going to give you on Sunday morning, so I can't do this every week. But you can do this right now. You can go this afternoon if you're not watching football, which I plan to do. And then I'll watch something Christian later after I'm done cussing at the TV or something, you know. <laughs> but no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. No, no, no. Anyway, it all ties together in my mind, and I hope you can understand that. Let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your patience with me. I thank you for inhabiting their patience for me. And I thank you, Lord, for teaching us a few things about sorrow and grief, because we need to know. Oh, Lord, we are outraged by death. And we're glad to know that that's normal. And so, Lord, help us turn that outrage into imitations of your grace, we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.